Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hey, everybody. We have a uh, mediocre one today, uh, as usual, because today it's just me. It's just me. I've never, I have not done this before. I had to do it myself because I was going crazy this week. During the debate on the floor of the House, I was going crazy because the bad faith and or stupidity of the Republicans because they kept saying things that they had to know weren't true or they're insanely stupid. And again, or both, or both. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to that in a few minutes, but we also had a Democratic debate uh, this week, and um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about that. Didn't drive me nuts, except it did in one way, which is I believe that the Democratic, in the Democratic debate, their job should be to go after Trump. In that whole debate, I don't think I heard one word about the impeachment, which is really speaks to the man's corruption of who that man is. But there was a lot of self-touting, which I guess you do. You tout yourself. But I think you can tout yourself simply by uh, talking about what's important to the country. And what's important to the country is health care. We won 40 seats in the House because of health care. It was the number one issue by two to one in the exit polls in 18, it's still the number one issue to Americans is healthcare. And we picked up 40 seats for a reason, which is that the Republicans had promised to repeal and replace. They got the government accidentally after Trump won. No one thought Trump would win. They did. They had the House. They had the Senate. They had the chance to repeal and replace. And what they came up with was so terrible. You know, 23 million Americans losing their health care. No guarantee on pre-existing conditions. 
uh, Medicaid expansion would go away. But the American people saw this and they went, wow, I like the ACA suddenly because they saw what was in the ACA. They saw that all these essential health benefits that they got, they love Medicaid expansion. And they love Medicaid expansion because it means it's so much to say rural hospitals are flourishing in states that have Medicaid expansion. And you know, the three states, the last three states to approve Medicaid expansion on a referendum were Idaho, Nebraska, and Utah. This program is incredibly popular. But guess what? After losing 40 seats, what does Donald Trump do? He joins the state attorney general's suit to say the ACA is unconstitutional because of, of the mandate going away. And you saw that the, the court ruled just last week that getting rid of the mandate is constitutional. But that's a different case. This case will be, well, with the mandate gone, the whole thing is unconstitutional. And Trump is joined that suit. Our Justice Department has joined that suit. So what should we do when we're talking about health care in our debates? One of the questioners was toward the end of the debate, asked uh, Bernie Sanders, what are you going to do if we can't get to single payer? And what did Bernie do? He just said, we're going to. Because, it, that you know, he just didn't answer the question. And the question is a real question. What are we going to do if we win the White House and if we have 50 or 51 or 52? We're not going to be able to create a single-payer system and eliminate all private insurances, which is what Bernie wants to do. This was a great opportunity for everyone to say, look, if one of us isn't elected, Donald Trump is going to be elected. And what is Donald Trump going to do? He wants to get rid of all the protections that American people got through the ACA. What do we want to do? Well, some of us want to build on the ACA and, and, and give people a uh, public option. Some of us want single payer. The question is, what happens if we can't get single payer? Well, I think every one of us, even Bernie, if he's, if he's elected, will have no choice but to um, build on the Affordable Care Act and give people a public option and make that public option work so well that people go like, oh, I like this public option. I'm going to go and everyone will go to uh, Medicaid or Medicare for all. Or, or they'll go to Medicaid and Medicare, and then if you have, everyone loves it, they'll all go there. My point is, is that instead of attacking each other, attack Donald Trump. It was an endless debate. I don't think there was five minutes on Trump. 
I really don't. And and I think the five minutes that were on Trump, maybe ten, were all about like I'd be stronger because I'm a businessman, and I'd be stronger. I could beat Trump because I'm from the Midwest. I can beat. That's Amy, and you know she's got a point there. But I think, I think Amy Klobuchar has a lot of things to talk about other than making the case for her electability. I think Amy should talk about what her vision is, but mainly she should talk about Trump. <laughs> they should all talk about Trump. People should come away from the debate going like, we have got to beat Trump. So I just thought the whole approach was wrong. And we did talk about things that we want, child, child care workers. Oh my God, how important is that? Oh my God, how important is early childhood? Oh, how important is our kids' education? You know, all our problems are tied to that. Our economy, if all our kids are well-educated and all our kids have good early childhood experiences, maybe they'd be a little less likely to become addicted to opioids and die. It's all education. If we're going to solve climate change, if we're going to address that, guess what we need? Scientists. Scientists. Well-educated people. If we're going to solve any of our problems, we need well-educated people. You know, I, I like when they start talking about issues that matter to people. Like, finally, we talked about people with disabilities. We talked about uh, adults with disabilities. And I got to say that I was a big champion of mainstreaming people, even with severe disabilities. We had a hearing with and one of the witnesses who had Down syndrome. But he went to work, I think, for Hewlett-Packard, and they really mainstreamed him. And he worked with, I think, the CEO of, of Hewlett-Packard. I may have these wrong, but it's like a major corporation. And they, they said, what do you like about working there? And he said a number of things. And uh, he said something about people having a sense of humor. And the, um, the, the senator asked him, uh, does the CEO have a good sense of humor? And he said, am I under oath? Which got the single biggest laugh. And he meant, uh, he meant it as a joke. He meant it as a joke. So what do you think Donald Trump thinks about that? <laughs> what do you think Donald Trump he makes fun of people with disabilities. Someone could point that out. Let's remember it's between one of us and Donald Trump. So if we're talking about any of these, the wealth tax, for example, if we're talking about taxes, why aren't they talking about the deficit that Trump has created. Why are they not talking about, they did these huge 
tax cuts for those at the top, and the deficit shot up. If you don't want a, a huge, huge, huge deficit, elect a Democrat. Uh, and, and of course, as people uh, on the stage, uh, as our, our candidates all said, th- this economy is not working for m- most Americans. It just isn't. And we need, and they did. They did start addressing that. But um, by and large, I just think that you got to go into these debates saying you don't make a pact. People should fight for themselves. People have differences. But my goodness, Donald Trump is just this pinata that has all these votes in it. And you just keep hitting the pinata, and then boom, at some point, all these votes come out. I thought they all had great moments, and but I thought as a whole, as a whole, I would really, if if I were up there, I would I would just start going like, let's stop <laughs> quibbling about things. Let's talk about Trump. Are you kidding? Let's just talk about Trump. He's being, he, no one mentioned that he was impeached. I don't think anyone on that stage mentioned he was impeached that day. <laughs> There's a Democratic debate for president and he was impeached that day. And they don't talk about it. One of the, Real features of Donald Trump is corruption. Corruption by his cabinet secretaries. Corruption by his family. Corruption, 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 Donald Trump. There's plenty to talk about with Donald Trump. So I I think that might be the reason that a lot of people, a lot of Democrats came away from that debate going like, oh, man. Who's going to beat Trump? And if you do that debate properly, you can go, oh, every one of them would beat Trump because they're making the case that Trump is just unacceptable as the president. And you know what? Most Americans believe that. Most Americans believe that. They don't even have to be convinced yet. They should talk about uh, how the president has not allowed anyone, has not honored any of these subpoenas. That's crazy. We're on our way to a, to a dictatorship if we, if we do that, if we allow that to stand. Okay, I, I was frustrated, and I think there were a number of people frustrated, and not at each individual candidate, but more at the whole approach of the debate. And that is the way we win this election is we make it about Donald Trump. That's how we win this election. We make it about Donald Trump. People in this country have gotten to know Donald Trump and know who he is. And that is how we win. And yet, I was not anywhere near as exercised about that as I was about the debate on impeachment on the House floor. 
And I'm going to get right into that, but we got a new sponsor, and uh, uh, this one I'm very excited about. If you are a discerning smoker like I am, you know that there's a big difference between a cigarette that just delivers the nicotine you crave and one that provides a rich, smooth, satisfying smoke. Gracing the cover of this month's Cigarette Aficionado is international movie star Javier Bardem, smoking a Dunhill Fine Cut Black. This special blend has been cut 46 times per inch to produce the quality smoking pleasure that Dunhill is famous for. With 7 milligrams of tar and 0.8 milligrams of nicotine, a Dunhill Fine Cut Black is the perfect midday break when you're looking for a cigarette that can deliver that much-needed kick. Dunhill, of course, was just featured in Cigarette Aficionado's special annual edition, coming in a well-deserved fourth in this year's list of the world's top 100 cigarettes. Also this month, a photo feature of heavy smoker Ralph Nader. See Ralph wearing Versace, showing off his things, as he likes to call them, starting with his $80 million Hamptons mansion and his collection of classic, dangerous cars. But which of Ralph's things does he value the most? Why, it's his vintage cigarette lighters. Also this month, enjoy a special section featuring smoked foods. Yum. It's a great issue of a great magazine for a free three-month subscription. Go to cigaretteaficionado.com backslash Al. It was, this was supposed to be a debate. And I also have a beef with the Democrats. I have a beef with Adam Schiff, which is that the Republicans would say stuff that would make your your brain explode because it, let me see. Uh, Peter, do we have Doug Collins, uh, one of the many uh, white guys from the South, making a an argument that is so... On uh, disingenuous and stupid, that um, I'll play it and then you'll then I'll scream. When they can't make their argument that the president pressured the Mr. Zelensky, they then attack Mr. Zelensky, and then say that he was pressured. When Mr. <laughs> Zelensky, on numerous occasions, he said, "I have not been pressured. I'm not being used. I have no. The call was fine. I'm not paying pressure to do anything." Then here's what the majority is saying. The majority is saying Mr. Zelensky is a liar, and we in this body, the Democrats, are tearing down a world leader in the eyes of those that don't like him in his own country and Russia who is attacking him. Ah! 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 Okay. Here's the thing. Zelensky is the president of... Ukraine. They are relying on the United States to give them aid in fighting the Russians who are in an active war with them. He <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, this just drove me crazy. <laughs> he 
can't say Donald Trump, President Trump pressured me because he's relying on Donald Trump for the survival of his country. And, okay, is it Doug Collins doesn't know that? I, th- I don't know. I watched him. He's smart enough. He is smart enough. I'm going to play another guy because they repeat the shit over and over again. This is Kelly Armstrong of North Dakota. He represents the whole state because there's no one, almost no one there. So we have the alleged, alleged victim of quid pro quo, bribery, extortion, whatever we're dealing with now today, repeatedly and adamantly shouting from the rooftops that he never felt pressure, that he was not the victim of anything. So in order for this whole thing to stick, we have to believe that President Zelensky is a pathological liar. Okay, I think that's stupidity more than disingenuousness. I, I can't know for sure. I cannot know for sure. Stupid, lying, uh, bad faith. What is it? What is it? This was the whole damn the whole damn hours and hours of this shit. Whenever it would get to them, they would make an argument that that on its surface that you knew was a false argument. You know that Zelensky relies on the United And the fact what I'm mad at Schiff for and the Democratic side is they should have had maybe just a point person who would get 15 seconds and going like, okay, you know why Zelensky didn't acknowledge that he was pressured is because they're relying on the United States for, for aid, and then and they can't do that. You know that, and you know that, and why do you keep repeating it and you're incredibly dishonest or stupid? Thank you. And then, uh, then when they make some other stupid argument, Let's make another stupid argument. Uh, let's hear the Mueller report stuff. For two years, we've been told that then-candidate Donald Trump colluded with Russians to interfere with our elections. Two years, millions of dollars spent on the Mueller investigation. No collusion. You'd think after being that wrong, Democrats would finally decide to work on the problems that the American people sent us here to do. You'd be wrong again. That was Phil uh, Rowe of Tennessee. And um, he probably doesn't know this. He probably just heard Bill Barr say this in the press conference before the Mueller report came out. They are very clear on page two of the report that they weren't criminally looking for collusion. They had to use conspiracy. Okay? And collusion is not a legal term. You can't be convicted of collusion. You can be convicted of conspiracy. And it makes a difference whether you're a legal term or not. For example, you're never going to hear the foreman of a jury say, uh, Your Honor, uh, we find the defendant uh, not guilty of being in cahoots. On page two, it says, this is page two. So you only had to read two pages. It's also the top of page two, I think. In evaluating whether evidence about collective action of multiple individuals constituted a crime, we applied the framework of conspiracy law, not the concept of collusion. 
In doing so, the office recognized that the word collude was used in communications with the acting attorney general confirming certain aspects of the investigation's scope, and the term has frequently been invoked in public reporting about the investigations. But collusion is not a specific offense or theory of liability found in the United States Code. Page two! Page two! Phil Rowe, I can understand Phil Rowe getting tired reading the report at maybe page three. He's not a big reader, evidently. But my God. So there was collusion. There was a lot of collusion. Roger Stone just got convicted on every count for essentially colluding (laughs) with WikiLeaks, which got its stuff from the Russians. And Manafort gave Kalimnik, who was considered a part of the Russian spy network, intelligence network, he gave Kalimnik the internal polling of the Trump campaign for the state's Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. That's colluding. That's colluding. That's colluding. That's colluding. You know, later I'm going to read Trump's, some of Trump's fucking letter, insane letter to Nancy Pelosi. And he basically, you know, says he's, he's going into the Russian thing's a hoax. It was a witch hunt and it was a hoax. And no, no, there were 13 indictments of Russians. Russians. Um, There was plenty of collusion. Okay, here's another guy, uh, Brad Winstrup from Ohio. And he just makes the same argument. That's what we're hearing all day. Let's let's play that. The refusal to accept the election results and later the findings of the Mueller investigation have brought forth articles of impeachment that are negated by two simple facts. Namely, the military aid to Ukraine was provided and no investigation was ever started. The real offense is that the president uh, won the election. Okay, that uh, there is again. He's, this is a twofer because he's doing the Mueller report, determined there was no collusion, and he's also doing. Uh, well, the the aid was delivered, therefore uh, it, it couldn't have, there couldn't have been any uh, pressure on him because it was delivered. It was delivered. There was nothing, and we heard a lot of that. The point is, these guys. That's all they did. That's all they did. It was hours and hours of the Republicans saying stuff that was easily debunked. And Schiff needed someone there going like, no. No, there was plenty of collusion. There was plenty of collusion. And then point out the collusion. And just point out that Bill Barr is a big liar. And we should subpoena Bill Barr. 
Okay, here's another thing they kept saying. Here's Steve Scalise. He's, what is he? He's like the whip or something? Or he's, it doesn't matter. Let's play it. But this isn't just about Donald Trump. They don't just hate Donald Trump, Madam Speaker. They hate the 63 million Americans who voted for this president. Okay. We, I don't, you know what? Hate doesn't do you any good. It just hurts you. Uh, That's what I think. But it's hard. It's hard when you watch something like this not to have feelings of hatred. (laughs) They, They kept pounding this 63 million thing when they know that Hillary got 66 million. Here's Drew Ferguson uh, from somewhere in the South. In 2016, I, along with 63 million American voters, representing 304 electoral college votes, went to the polls and we raised our collective political middle finger to D.C., and voted for Donald Trump. How dare you, the liberal elites, the condescending bureaucrats, and every other kind of swamp critter in this godforsaken place, tell the American public who the president should be? I think he was thinking that there must have been some kind of condensation going on in, you know, outside the Capitol uh, or something, but anyway, this was uh, that's condescending of me, isn't it? Isn't it? So he mispronounced the word. I, I I did that all the time. People do that. You do that. He knows what uh, condensation is. Ah, uh, uh, what do you say about this? We don't hate. We don't hate Trump voters. We want them just not to vote for Trump. That's all. But we don't hate them. Now, it sounds like this cracker, uh, this guy, hates the 66 million people who voted for Hillary Clinton. We don't hate the 63 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump. But he seems to hate the 66 million people Ironically, that voted for Hillary Clinton. Of course, of course, as you know, the president claimed that those were fraudulent votes, all casts, three million fraudulent votes, all casts for Hillary Clinton by illegal immigrants. And he had a commission. He had a commission on that from the, the Kobach Commission. And they couldn't find one. <laughs> Ah, oh, Jesus, I hate these guys. Oh, I said it. I said it. You caught me. I, I meant these guys, those guys like that. I don't mean the 63 million. I know many of those people. So here's the point. Somebody should have been there just pointing this out. And you know what? They would have just kept saying the same thing anyway. They had all just written down something. They read a thing. This was supposed to be a debate. But all, this, this was pathetic, I thought. Uh, you know, I want to just say to them, have you ever watched the parliament in Great Britain? And they have a debate? 
And what happens is, is somebody says something on one side, and then the other side responds to that. And then the other side responds to that. And they have a debate. They respond to each other, and it goes somewhere. (laughs) It goes somewhere. This was a travesty. I mean, watching the House of Representatives here, now, I... You know, many of the Democrats said great things, and I think Adam Schiff has done a terrific job. But my goodness, why couldn't someone have just said, you're saying the same things over again, and they're not true, and you know it. And each time they did it, just pointed out. That's a guy they should have gone to or a woman they should have gone to. They should have just gone, okay, hit it, Pete, or Patricia, just just say the thing. <laughs> I mean, humiliate them. Humiliate people like this. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll talk more impeachment after this. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back. We're uh, here with our guest, me. Uh, You're doing great, by the way. Thank you. Speaking of humiliation, uh, the majority leader, Mitch McConnell. What I love is that this guy makes no bones about it, really. He makes no bones at all about, I'm dealing in bad faith. (laughs) That's it. Uh, What? You think anything I say is on the level? Oh, come on. Have you been listening? My God. Okay, so I want to do a show where the norms went how we got to this point. Uh, and I want to have Norm Ornstein because his name is Norm to do a show on how we got to this place, which is just crazily broken. And I don't think Trump would have gotten elected if it hadn't been uh, for Mitch McConnell. 
because he violated so many. The biggest one, the biggest one, Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland. And you will remember that in order to not give a hearing to Merrick Garland, who, by the way, he is a consensus builder on the D.C. Circuit. And Orrin Hatch said, I'd be happy with him. I'd be happy with him. He's he's a great, a great judge. And he consulted with uh, Barack Obama, President Obama, Orrin Hatch did. And he said publicly, let's hear Mitch McConnell uh, talk about the Biden rule, which is what he used as the basis to not give Merrick Garland even a hearing. The Senate will continue to observe the Biden rule so that the American people have a voice in this momentous decision. Let me remind colleagues of what Vice President Biden said when he was chairman of the Judiciary Committee here in the Senate. Here's what he said. It would be our pragmatic conclusion that once the political season is underway, and it is, action on a Supreme Court nomination must be put off until after the election campaign is over. Okay, where do I start? Where do I start? Okay, Senator, then Senator Biden said that on the Senate floor, uh, gave a long speech, a long speech. Uh, he uh, did say those words. This was June 25th, 1992. Uh, very, very different. The session, the, that court's, Supreme Court session, I believe, had just ended. And what he was really talking about was a justice retiring so they could game it so that uh, George H.W. Bush could nominate and they could confirm somebody before uh, the election. Okay, that was gaming the system. That's what Biden didn't want. But, 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 but this. This is what Biden says later in the speech. If the president consults and cooperates with the Senate or moderates his selection absent consultation, then his nominee may enjoy my support, as did Justices Kennedy and Souter. Okay, that's pretty clear that he's saying if you put up a right-wing judge... Uh, we're I'm, we're not going to confirm, and, and we're not going to we're not even going to have a hearing. Okay, this is June twenty fifth. Scalia, um, God bless his soul, uh, died in January of a heart attack, natural causes, heart attack, and Merrick Garland was nominated, and part of the reason it was Merrick Garland was first of all great unbelievably respected judge. And two, um, Orrin Hatch on the Judiciary Committee, had been chair, consulted with Obama and said publicly, oh, if he appoints Merrick Garland, yeah, then that's, we'd be happy with that. So 
this is, surprise, surprise, completely disingenuous. And that's who this guy is. That's who Mitch McConnell is. And, you know, he may be considered one of the most powerful majority leaders in the history of the Senate and getting all these judges confirmed. They're putting these Federalist Society uh, 100%ers. The Federalist Society tracks members of the Federalist Society from law school. And if they stay 100%, they get the good clerkships. And if they stay 100%, they get to be nominated for a judgeship. And if they stay 100%, they get, uh, you know, maybe a circuit court. And if they do enough writing to signal, hey, I'm a right-wing Federalist Society guy, as both Gorsuch and Kavanaugh did, spent a lot of time waving, saying, hey, you can trust me, there are no surprises here. Leonard Leo said there's no surprises. There's no surprises for a reason. So that's who we got. That's who we got are those two, uh, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. And now, okay, so here's the punchline. Here's the punchline. Here's the punch. McConnell was asked a few months ago, if a vacancy comes up next year in the Supreme Court, what would you do? And he said, we'd fill, wait a minute, let me try. Uh, We'd fill uh, the seat. That's not great. We'd fill the seat. He talks like he has, uh, sometimes he has marbles in his mouth. But if he takes marbles out, then he talks like Bernie. And he doesn't want to do that. So he keeps the, he keeps the marbles in. But he said, we will fill the seat. We will fill the seat. Now, uh, Scalia... God bless his soul, uh, died uh, in in January, in January. So if he's going to fill the seat, he's thinking anytime, anytime, if this comes vacant in June, we'll fill the seat. July, we'll fill the seat. Uh, you know the order of the months, everybody, you do. I have a, a, an audience that knows that. Okay, I'll do it. August, he'll fill the seat. September, fill the seat. October, he would rush it through. He'd fill the seat. He would. The day before the election. Okay, let's go. Or they could do it. They could actually uh, do it during the lame duck session. They'd do that. So January 20th, 2021, uh, just before President... Bloomberg, oh, wow, there's a lot of people out there going, what, Al? What? I, I, anybody, anybody, let's face it. I'll do, work my heart out for any Democrat. Tulsi Gabbard, I might not work my heart out, but I don't think she's getting the nomination. I just don't. I'm just saying, if it's Bloomberg, if it's Bernie... Before that president gets sworn in, McConnell would do it before noon if he could. Oh, my God. 
So now McConnell is going to take the oath where he says, I will do impartial justice, raise his right hand, and be violating the oath as he's saying it. He's, you know, he, he, he knows he's not doing that. And, you know, in fairness to him, I guess there's a lot of Democrats who have said, I will vote, you know, have said previously, I will vote. Uh, to convict him if it gets to the Senate. Must be sort of fair, sort of. But he's running the show, and he just announces right away that uh, he's just gonna he's gonna work with the White House every step of the way. He's just gonna work with the White House every step of the way. And um, that's what you'd expect from him. At least he said so. You gotta respect that. Ah. Uh. What a what a terrible you know I think that there is a lot of despair uh in the country. I think a lot of people who care about things like oh global warming. Well, you know what? We're gonna take a, a quick break now, uh but we'll be right back with more of me. Ah <laughs> <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back. Uh, we are discuss, and by we I mean me and my tapeworm are discussing uh, the the impeachment. I actually went on on Twitter and asked people to a- ask any questions, and and a lot of them are things that I was going to ask myself, sort of talk about myself. But I think this is a interesting way to go, and I got like three hundred and some uh, questions from people. Uh, Peter. The uh, producer, and uh, also he's engineering this one, will read me some of these questions, and he'll pick them out uh, so that this will be fun because I haven't, I don't know what he's going to ask me. So you asked for questions on Twitter, uh, at Al Franken, uh, and we got uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of responses. Here's one from Joanne. She asks... Can John Roberts make those Republicans who have publicly said they are not unbiased recuse themselves from voting in the impeachment trial? Okay, I was kind of touching on that. I don't think that's going to happen because, look, McConnell went right out on the limb and and, and said it. And he could actually, I think, be impeached himself for violating his oath. But that's probably probably not going to happen. But, you know, uh, it's, it's getting very weird, so maybe it will. But I, I don't think Roberts will do that. There's other stuff Roberts can do, and part of what he can do and needs to do is say that the subpoenas of people like Bolton, 
and Pompeo and Mulvaney uh, should be honored, and they need to testify. They don't have to testify in the Senate. They can be put on videotape. Uh, but I think that is something that has to that has to happen. And I would love to see the Republicans who are up for reelection vote against that. Okay, we have another question here uh, from uh, <laughs> Null and Empty on Twitter. Uh, Ask the question, uh, why are congressional subpoenas unenforceable? It seems like people like Bolton should be compelled to testify in an impeachment hearing. I agree. He should be. Why, why aren't they? This is uh, because the courts are just too slow. You know, this hasn't really come up. This is sort of unprecedented what the president has done, which is these blanket, you know, refusals to honor subpoenas. And so I suppose the courts need time to do their research and write their opinions. So this has just been taking forever. That is unfortunately uh, why they they couldn't wait to get these done. I mean, Bolton filed himself, and he's in court, and McGahn, McGahn's not part of this. McGahn's part of the obstruction of justice part from the Mueller investigation, which I kind of think maybe they should have put in this, but I'm not, you know, Nancy Pelosi uh, is is wiser than I. Uh, here's a question from uh, Michelle, who is in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, I'd like to know what changes a senator's mind. How can I convince my two Republican senators to do the right thing? One, to hear from witnesses with direct evidence. And two, to convince them to vote to impeach Donald Trump. Or to convict. Or to convict. Yeah, Yeah. vote to convict Donald Trump. Okay. Uh, Well, you say, uh, gee, Senator Tillis, you're up for re-election. If it comes to a vote about whether Bolton will be required to uh, testify and whether Mulvaney will be required to testify, I love that the Republicans would say, you know, the evidence against the president is just hearsay. Peter, do we we have our, our hearsay montage? The Democrats' new definition for evidence is allegations, allegations based on hearsay, I might add. So they hurl allegations against the president. But the American people see through this sad charade for what it is, an attempt to undo the 2016 election based on hearsay and opinion, not fact. Throughout it all, the majority trampled on minority rights. They refused to call witnesses with relevant firsthand knowledge. They relied on hearsay news reports to make their case. Well, one, it wasn't just hearsay. Sondland talked to him on the phone. He told this to Sondland. And the diplomat, the Ukraine, uh, our American diplomat, overheard him because the president was so enthusiastic about this shakedown <laughs> that he was talking really loud on the unsecured phones. So that's that's two And how about everybody who listened to the phone call and everyone who's read the transcript? Now, in his insane letter to Nancy Pelosi, Trump brings this up. He says, fortunately, there was a transcript of the conversation taken. And you know from the transcript, 
which was immediately made available, that the paragraph in question was perfect. I said to President Zelensky, I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I said, do us a favor, not me and our country, not a campaign. <sighs> wow. And, and by the way, Trump is unraveling. He is unraveling, and I have advice for the, the Joint Chiefs, and, which, and my advice is now is not the time to take away the nuclear codes from Donald Trump. Now is the time to give him the wrong codes. Okay, what's the next one? Okay, uh, from Robert Kringler uh, asked the question, would a secret ballot change the impeachment equation, assuming many Senate Republicans would break rank behind closed doors? Is that even possible in Senate rules? Well, I I don't think so. That I No, they're not going to do that. But uh, it's an interesting idea, and I don't even know what would happen if you did that. I mean, it's a secret ballot. <laughs> That'd be funny if it was like they did a secret ballot and it was like 100 nothing. And it's like, oh, damn it, it's 100 nothing. Now they know how I voted. Like, everyone, like, turned, McConnell, what the hell did you do? I didn't think it'd be a, I didn't think it would be 100. If I knew it would be 100, well, then, <laughs> then I'll, I would have voted, uh, let's, let's face it, he's, he's guilty. Okay, go ahead. All right, let's do one more. Uh, Charles Temple Plate uh, asks, what are the possible... Temple Plate. Temple Plate. Charles Temple Plate. Okay. Uh, he asks, <laughs> what are the possible serious explanations for Lindsey Graham? I just don't get how he can function with all of the attention on his sycophantic hypocrisy. Does anybody take him seriously? Well, okay. Um... I happen to know something about uh, Lindsey, and maybe they're uh, using it against him. Um, he uh, He's a shoplifter. And it's a compulsion. Um, uh, he doesn't have to do it. He has enough. You know, you get paid enough in the Senate. But if it's like, but he'll go into, I've, I've been with him when he, he has gone into, um, you know, store with some, you know, really kind of good looking pottery and plates and he'll, he'll take one and, you know, they don't suspect that every, he's pretty public and, and I think they have him on tape shoplifting, you know, thank you all people that, uh, responded, and I'm sorry I didn't get to your 324 questions, but um, there were some were uh, just were the, you know were similar, uh, but very thank you, thank you all so much. Uh, the holidays are coming, uh, and we are going to do a uh, uh, I'm going to take a break. Peter and I are going to take a one week break, and Sarah Silverman's. Uh, podcast with me we're going to repeat that and it's great she's ah i love i love sarah silverman i love sarah and it's a very sweet uh interview and also very funny 
and a little uh, sharp at times. Anyway, it's uh, give it a listen next week. <laughs> and uh, again, there you go. Goodbye, everybody. Please uh, keep listening. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Here on the Al Franken Podcast. <laughs> Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember Remix and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam packed, music filled weekly party where hip hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.